Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm I'm a professor of nutrition and exercise physiology. I've done that for about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a strength coach. I've been in powerlifting, highlighting games, and just generally like picking up big things. So. Nice. Okay, everybody, we are going to have a topic today. Um, we cut to the chase at the beginning here, like a good boy, good co-host. Uh, what are you good at? What are you bad at? And how do you know? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to share some thoughts about ourselves, and maybe those are instructive if you are like us. And we're going to do this by category. So we'll do it like physique, uh, performance, diet, right? What do we feel like we're good at? How do we know? What are we bad at? How do we know we're bad at these things? And then we'll try to toss in some advice uh, for people that might be like us. But the whole idea is as a listener – to be engaged right and think about yourself when when we talk about what are you good at in the gym you know that sort of thing um but i digress we have a uh, mail and news so we got to get to this as as is our thing strength and muscle sport news this first uh mail is from mike uh he sent this uh mm, maybe a week or two ago we're just getting to it could we have a little bit of a backlog here but uh, my name's Michael. Uh, I'm a longtime listener. I used to weigh 350 pounds uh, back in 2014, uh, down to about 240 to 250 now. So well done, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I'm still big, I've been competing in powerlifting and have made tremendous gains in the last five years. I'm currently cutting down uh, even further to around 200. Good oh, Lord. Lord. And trying to get as lean as I have ever been as an adult. Uh, Anyway, I came across this post on Reddit, and I thought it was a very interesting read. I thought I'd share it for your news portion of the show, Uh, and I'll get to this in just a moment. Uh, He has a question about it. My question with caffeine is, is there too much that you can take, essentially? Uh, I usually drink one to two sugar-free Red Bulls a day uh, and a scoop of pre-workout. So, you know, Mike's not afraid of bringing on the stimulants here. While I have been trying to cut out Red Bulls in general and just do black coffee instead, and, you know, sidebar, I I like that idea, actually, but I drink a lot of caffeine per day. My tolerance is high, uh, but I've been doing this for years now without cycling off. Are there side effects? I just had my blood pressure checked at age 30 and about 250 pounds. I'm 115 over 65. So nice low blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc said I'm healthy. Should it, I have a, every, anything to worry about? Last time I cycled off for a month, it seemed to really work again, the caffeine, when I kicked it back in. But after the second day, I was already back to normal with basically the tolerance. And then lastly, do you know uh, any kind of effects between caffeine and weed? Uh, <laughs> is combining, <laughs> combining them a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, are there no studies to show it, et cetera? Um, he says, I'm in Canada, so it's legal. <laughs> Thanks for everything you guys do. 
All right. Oh, well, I'll, Mike, I'll answer the caffeine part. I did look at the article. It was by Eric Trexler. It's a nice little piece. Um, it's not exactly peer-reviewed you know, science article, but there's peer-reviewed stuff in it. So this is not unlike, you know, Phil, like what we used to see or do on, on T Nation, you know, where, back mm-hmm. in the day where they actually had references and there was little literature reviews sort of. Um. So, yeah, the piece that he's referring to is really pretty good. As far as getting blunted and, and is it healthy and this and that sort of thing, uh, I would consider what you're consuming a lot. You know, average people usually mm-hmm. consume around 200 milligrams a day-ish. I'm not looking that up right now. I'm just ballparking. Um, and you're way above that, of course. Now, there's a couple of things you got to think about, though. Uh, the enzymes that break down caffeine in your liver, they do get excited when you exercise. So exercise does burn through some of it. That's sort of a incorrect way of saying it but it is still more or less true like if you extra if you take a lot of pre-workout and then you train your ass off in the afternoon you're probably still going to get to sleep decently whereas if you did a lot of caffeine in the afternoon and did not lift you know you might have trouble uh, that kind of thing blood pressure yeah the literature goes back and forth you're not uh, alone a lot of people just think it's going to jack your heart rate and blood pressure sky high and that that's not always the case in the literature so it, you know if your blood pressure is good especially you're a big dude roll with it man i mean you know that that sounds okay as far as um can you get too much yes uh, at some point in fact we know we know from the science it's about five or six milligrams per kg of your body weight, right? So you're 250 pounds, divide that by 2.2, get your weight in kilos, and then multiply that by up to six milligrams. Six migs per kg is usually the higher end. Uh, that's a good whopping dose, especially because you're a pretty big guy, and six migs per kg for you is a lot. I mean, that's a lot. You're not going to do that with coffee alone unless you drink a pot. So, um, yeah, exercise will do that. Eating a lot of protein and broccoli and things like that tend to cause caffeine to break down um, because, again, they affect these liver enzymes and whatnot. So you may be doing some other things that help get it out of your system fairly quickly. Um, What else was I going to look at here? Oh, uh, cycling on and off. Uh, We actually looked at that in the lab and – in a peer-reviewed setting, we, we presented this stuff. But essentially, you get blunted but not completely ruined on caffeine by regular use. And that should be obvious to any listener, right? I mean, it, it, why do we all drink coffee or tea every morning? Because it keeps getting your ass out of bed. So um, in a nutshell, if you want numbers, uh, there was an 11% enhancement in, like, bar speed, you know, with a fairly light to medium weight when we were looking at this stuff in caffeine naive people so 11 percent ergogenic effect and in caffeine habituated people it was six percent but that was still statistically significant it was still a reliable enhancement it was just about a six to eight percent actually instead of 11 so blunted but not abolished so you know on the alertness side if you don't feel completely wired well, that's all right. I honestly think at some point there's diminishing returns. You know, like mm-hmm. you you just you overdo it. Like let's say you slam two Red Bulls immediately, <laughs> and then I don't know, put some pre workout powder in one of them. I don't suggest mm-hmm. that. Don't do that. But that would be too much. And then you know you might feel more mentally alert. But at some point, and it's right around at least in our lab, the stuff we've done, it's around that five milligrams per kg. Mm-hmm. 
you might feel more wired, but you, the bar speed isn't going any faster. You just think it is, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, you're like, woo, and I'm really rocking. Well, you're rocking about the same as you would have with half the dose. <laughs> so, yeah. as far as actual bar speed. And then the combo with weed, um, I've never seen anything about cannabinoids or smoking pot and how it would interact with caffeine. Caffeine has some analgesic effects, actually. It's not just, you know, like a adrenaline-type surge. Uh, there's a lot of phytochemicals. I mean, God, in both of those, right? Talk about the plant chemicals in both of those substances. The interactions would be enormous. And I would bet there's a lot of inter-individual differences there. Um, I don't any thoughts, Phil, about overdoing caffeine? Have you ever done it or anything? Mm. You know somebody like yeah. weed, uh, any of the above? Yeah. <laughs> uh. I can just tell you the one time I decided to go ahead and take the six milligrams per kilogram of body weight, and it was way too much because um, we were talking about it on the show. I was like, ah, give it a shot this morning. And so I, I don't know. I was like 720 grams of caffeine before I worked out, and that was that was way too much. Um, yeah. I'm, I was – like you said. I mean, I, yeah, I was up. I was way up. And it gets to – for me, it's like back in the days of ephedra and stuff like that. That stuff was good as far as like losing weight. But for heavy, heavy training, not so much. I mean, I I have a tendency to get myself up anyways for uh, big lifts. Yep. And I was like, I was too shaky. You know, and at a point when you're talking 90% plus lifts and shaky, they don't go well together. Um, just being too lit up. I mean, I've, I've kind of curbed back my caffeine lately. I mean, I use it. This morning I'm drinking more coffee and I'll have some more caffeine before I go in. But, uh, I try not to live on it now. Where for a while there, that's—I mean, I was like coffee all day, every day, and um, that was just a personal choice. I mean, I don't see a big difference in it now, but I mean, it was just—I think my sleep might be a little better, things like that. So yeah, you know, uh, actually, that's good uh, advice, Mike. You can overdo it. I mean, if you want this to maximally, you know, stimulate you. Or at least optimally, maybe is a better word, not maximally, because then, like Phil said, you're weak and shaky and overdone. But don't do it all the time. Like, I, I actually questioned a little bit why you're doing the two Red Bulls. Maybe you could cut that to one and make the other one just a pop for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, some kind of sugar-free pop instead. I mean, there's still a little dab of caffeine in most pop, but you're talking about almost, a, <laughs> for workout purposes, a useless amount. You know, 30 to 50 yeah. milligrams or something. Uh, yeah. But you might want to try that because that way you're not just leaning on it so heavily. You know what I mean? Think of it like lighter fluid. If you're going to spray it on the on the flame, don't do it all the time. You know. So yeah, it's like the people that take the crazy pre workouts, like someday pre workout, bro. You're doing some curls, right? <laughs> yes, know? yes. If you can't mentally get yourself through that workout, we might want to address some issues. Yeah, but, uh, that's for you sure. know that's like I save my big caffeine intake for Saturdays and that's when I do all my deadlifting and my heavy squatting. So there's the risk of a crutch though. You know what I mean? Like yes. like yeah. the way you blare metal, like I do it with headphones, oh, yeah. you do it with the big speakers yeah. and whatnot in, yeah. in your gym and uh, well yeah. I mean my gym does that too. I just tend to like to listen to my own stuff. But, yes. But to your point, yeah, I mean there's chemical motivation, but mm-hmm. you can actually drum up your psyche to get into it without oh, yeah. it. Yes. You know, so. Yep. Okay. Um, we have two little bits of news uh, before we get to 
uh, uh, the mid-show break, and then our topic about what we're good and bad at, and listeners too. Both of these are dose things, dose-related things that often come up in sports nutrition and lifting. So this first one, both of them are from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. This is from the American Society of Nutrition, the ASN. This was... Uh, this is a challenging society. Like, there's a lot of dietitians, for example, that don't even qualify to get in. I mean, you have to have first author publications. I mean, there's an application process. Uh, but this is my group. So think about this as like these are the PhDs and the MDs. And yes, there are some dietitians in the mix, but this is high end group. Uh, it's the most impactful nutrition journal, like in the world. So. Anyway, new stuff, brand new, like literally this morning. Uh, this first one, linear dose response of EPA and DHA. So we're talking about fish oils, of course. Results from a randomized controlled trial in healthy humans. What they wanted to do is actually look at how much can you take and does it keep getting absorbed and incorporated into your body and in causing benefits, right? So it says the health effects of long-chain omega-3 polyunsaturated fats, right, PUFA, omega-3 PUFA, polyunsaturated fatty acids, are partly mediated by their oxidized metabolites, uh, eicosanoids and other oxylipins. So just fancy names for what the fish oil, the EPA and DHA become in your body. Okay. Uh, so what they did was, let's see, the aim of the study was to quantify these oxylipins, again, what the fish oils become in your body, in human uh, plasma samples from an intervention study where the participants were randomly assigned uh, different daily intakes of EPA and DHA over the course of a year. Uh, healthy adult men and women. So this is nice, right? It's not diseased people. It's not just males. Healthy men and women with low habitual fish intake. And that should make sense because... Otherwise, they would have quite a bit in their bodies already. Uh, 121 subjects were randomly assigned to receive capsules, giving a dose of omega-3 uh, fats reflecting three different patterns of fish intake. Uh, one serving uh, per week, two servings per week, or four servings per week. And what they mean by that was 3.3, uh, essentially, grams of EPA and DHA in a serving. So this adds up to something about 14 grams a week, as I'm just quickly looking at this. So if you divide that by seven days, up to two grams a day. And actually, that's right about where I shoot with my with my supplements when I take them. Uh, 2,000 total milligrams, so between 1,000 and 2,000 of EPA and DHA, the active ingredients in a fish oil pill. And then, of course, they quantified these metabolites in the plasma after three months and 12 months. So let me cut to the chase here. Plasma concentrations of biologically active oxylipins uh, that were derived from the omega-3 uh, supplements increased linearly with elevated intake of EPA and DHA. In other words, it just kept going up and up. And this is actually, over the years of Iron Radio, this is what I've suggested, that I, I keep seeing in the literature, you could take more and more fish oils, and there's sort of this dose-response effect. You really do get more of it into your body, and you get more of these metabolites. Now, unfortunately, and we both know, Phil, in, in powerlifting and bodybuilding, a more is better mentality is not always good, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's 
people taking too much androgens right out of the gate or where we just talked about caffeine, right? You can overdo it. Uh, so at some point, having more of these metabolites, it could end up backfiring in some ways. It could affect blood clotting or, you know, um, different kinds of things, not causing clotting, but preventing. There's a couple of different minor potential problems. Uh, there's some talk about maybe prostate issues uh, with different polyunsaturated fats. And it says inter-individual differences as far as their plasma levels are low. There's not much difference. In other words, it's a pretty linear effect. The more you take, the more you get in, regardless of who you are. So I thought that was pretty interesting stuff there uh, as far as the dose response. And again, they were shooting for intake patterns, right? They're trying to make, make it mirror food. One serving a week, two servings a week, or four servings per week. Again, about 3.3 gram EPA plus DHA servings. Um, yeah, so that tells me that, yeah, if you do supplement this stuff, it does get in. If you take more, more gets in, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's for antidepressive effects, anti-inflammatory. There's some um, body comp studies to suggest that less body fat over periods of time when you're training. Um, so I, I'm, I guess practical tip, I'm just, at least me, I'm just going to keep taking my roughly one to 2,000 milligrams of combined EPA and DHA every day, and I'm going to know that that dose it still gets in i mean this was Mm -hmm. linear so in theory i could double that and it would still get in but at some point like anything else i think you might be overdoing it most benefits of fish oils start around half a gram a day so about 500 milligrams so i'm taking a one to two thousand that's a lot you know that's a lot so dose response this next one phil i'm very curious to hear what your people say because i keep there's a lot of people in the bodybuilding community. I think Stan Efferding is one. There's a lot of people. I think we've had Stan on the show, in fact, um, mm-hmm. in the past. But they're big proponents of sodium. Uh, and this would actually actually back them up in a way. Not in, not in the sense that it's performance enhancing. Like I, I, was, I was listening to a kid the other day talking about how sodium is so ergogenic. And I'm like, according to Stan Efferding. And I'm like, mm, I'm not sure it's going to like... <laughs> put put 40 pounds on your bench press yeah. or something like that. Um, but dose-response relationship between sodium and blood pressure. Uh, so they did a meta-regression here, a meta-analysis. Now, it's worth noting that there's a lot of classic textbooks that say only about a third to a half of the population is sodium-sensitive at all. In other words, you could have high blood pressure and pulling sodium out of your diet won't help you. Right, so that's something most people don't think about. That only a third to a half of the population is probably sodium sensitive. Uh, but anyway, the present meta regression sought to estimate the dose response between sodium restriction and blood pressure. Um, they found 133 papers on this randomized controlled trials, looking at healthy and hypertensive individuals. Um, I don't want to bore you with a ton of this, but essentially. Um, in people that were in the upper echelons of blood pressure, so blood pressure of one, basically 130 over 80, so mi- almost mildly hypertensive, not, not diagnostically so probably, but if you're in the upper 75th percentile and your blood pressure is w- roughly 130 over se- 78, actually, uh, it says 
there was strong evidence for a linear effect. In other words, you could drop your systolic blood pressure by about eight millimeters of mercury uh, and your diastolic by about three millimeters. So you could get eight points off your top number, about three points off your lower number. That's worthwhile. But again, only if you're pushing mild hypertension. This is the interesting thing. In those study groups with with mean blood pressure that was under that amount, so you know, let's say like we just talked about with our um, listener mail, if you're like 115 over 68 or something like that, it's already low. Sodium's not really not going to do much. Uh, mm-hmm. It says the relationship between sodium and blood pressure for people with lower blood pressures to begin with was weak. For systolic blood pressure, cutting out sodium reduced it by just one and a half millimeters of mercury, and diastolic was less than 0.1 millimeter reduction. Wow. So it just didn't do anything, really. And then their conclusion was only study groups with a blood pressure in the highest 25th percentile of the population showed clinically significant drop in blood pressure with sodium restriction. And they actually go on to say that um, dietary guidelines for sodium need to be reframed just to target the patients that already have hypertension, right? In other words, telling everybody not to do it, at least from a blood pressure perspective, is kind of a waste of time. I would like to see a cross-study on that, too, of how many of those people with high blood pressure are physically active. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, like, it makes a big difference. I mean, if you're – basically, people like us are losing sodium every time we train in large amounts. Mm-hmm. You know, and athletes, you know. So it'd be interesting to see if these people that had high blood pressure and also weren't very active. So – and cramming down lots of sodium. And then they changed it to no sodium. Yeah, of course. Well, now, you know, they weren't losing it before, so they're losing it now via not taking it in. So it's true. There's cross reference. Anytime in physiology, I mean, right. I mean, the point you're making about population specificity is bang on. Like, yeah. all you have to do is look at my ball caps in the back seat of my car, and they've got salt lines all over them. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like me, for instance. I mean, I had my blood test not long ago, and yeah, I was like low, pre hypertensive or whatever it was. And I am a huge sodium eater. Yeah. Like, I take in lots of sodium. My sodium levels were fine. I didn't change that at all, and now I'm 110 over 67 or whatever it is. And yeah. I take in lots of sodium stuff. So Yeah, I think body weight is a bigger deal. I don't know how you are, but if I get up over two fifteen and because mm-hmm. that's that's heavier for me, you know. If I go over yep. two fifteen, I start getting like mild hypertension, like we just talked mm-hmm. about, hovering around like, you know, one thirty, one thirty five over eighty five kind of thing. Uh and when my body weight is under two hundred, I'm one fifteen over sixty eight again. You yeah, know exactly. So yep. uh, weight has a huge impact, and it's it's a good point. Uh, anytime in physiology, uh, it's always rate of appearance and rate of disappearance, right? And mm. if we're making sodium disappear from our system by sweating our asses off, uh, mm. especially this time of year, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to think that then there's a there's the issue of sodium balance here, and it's not just intake, like with a lot of folks, you know. Oh. So. Anyway, yeah, I thought that was interesting that if your blood pressure is kind of low, especially what we – if you remember last year we were talking about how uh, there were some NASA studies that suggested that sodium increases appetite. Well, mm. I think hot damn, that's one of the best things you could uh, – best reasons for eating some salty foods, right? If it's mm. going to make you hungrier and you're trying to gain yeah. weight, uh, it's almost like along the lines of your um, 
McDonald's chicken sandwich diet, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of calories and sodium, which makes you hungrier to eat more. And that's the idea. <laughs> that's actually yeah. the idea. So, um, yeah, only a problem if you're sensitive and already sort of hypertensive. And that's interesting. Okay, let's go to break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what we're good at. And we're going to pose that to you guys, right? Listeners, what are you good at? What are you bad at? And how do you know? Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. Over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Alrighty, it's Phil and Lonnie, and we're back, and we're going to talk today about what we're good and bad at, and how we know, and what advice we might have, and then, of course, the idea here is, right, make the leap. This is about you, the listener. What mm-hmm. are We want you to think about what you're good at. What are you bad at? How do you know? That sort of thing, and we're going to do it by category. So our first category is physique, so let's start with on a positive note, Phil, Um what are you good at uh, physique-wise, not performance, but just build? What are you good at, and how do you know that? Mm, my back. <laughs> it's probably because, well, my back or my chest, and that's just natural. I mean, well, I mean, 
my chest is definitely natural, and my back is just all the training I've done. Those are two things I get comments on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's nothing. I don't even cognitively try. Like, oh, it's just the nature of the training I do, you know. And I think I I lucked into. I've always enjoyed training back, so I think I lucked into that. And it just so happened that's a big part of the sports I do. Sure. So it, I think I think that's a, one of the reasons why I've like never hurt my back is because I have a big, strong back, and I've always just enjoyed. Like it, when it came down to it, I much more enjoyed like heavy bent over rows than I did a bunch of bench pressing and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. That'd probably be the the biggest thing for me is is that vascularity. But that's again, I was just born to the correct parents. Vascular, so. yeah. 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 So, well, let me let me <laughs> drill down. This sounds very bodybuilder ish, but when you say back, are you are you lats dominant or more traps? Definitely lats. Like lats. my traps don't. They're not like they're not like windlers that go up to my ears. Yeah. And they never have been. Yeah. I just got really wide lats and things like that. That's usually what I get a comment on. Is holy crap, you've got huge lats, and it's just a. Uh, I'm wide. I'm 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 really wide and thick. Uh, it's just how I'm built. You know, I've got a big rib cage, mm-hmm. so my chest mm-hmm. is always just big. Like the minute I put on any weight, it's all it comes to my chest first. So I just start getting thicker, and it's like I got to go through doors sideways. But uh, <laughs> it's just how I've always been. And even when I was small, I mean, I always just had a big, big rib cage and, and things like that. So I'm just lucky, lucky in that way. And then, of course, that kind of geared my training towards that. I think we we tend to lean on what we're good at. So right, yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, how you know that is obvious. People are making comments about it, and you can, yep. yeah, exactly. You can't so put I mean, on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like, "Good lord, you know, you're just huge, or you're lots of, you got a huge back, blah blah blah." Right, so, right. Um, um, you know, I think from my perspective, physique wise, I had small joints, and that might sound like a weakness to a power lifter, but in my sport, that's very helpful. You know, yeah, and uh, what I always did. Um, so small joints. In, relatively big muscle bellies right so i could look like i weighed more and you know we always talk about the illusion on a stage and that kind of stuff so i'd compete in the, i was only in the upper 190s you know after i dehydrated and everything and um or the fact that i think i was bottom heavy like my whole family is bottom heavy big quads and hams and uh, as i get older i don't know if you've ever noticed but it seems like to me that older guys they lose some leg mass um, so my physique has been balancing out actually because I used to be so bottom heavy, um, and you know, like you with your back work and the performance. That's why I always liked squats as far as like a performance move because you know mm-hmm. I just had I had bigger butt and legs. I just always did, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, and how I know that I guess it's just through competing and whatnot, right? Because I could yeah. stand on stage and some of the guys were they they were shorter than me. And therefore, they had more mass per inch of height, but they didn't, didn't always necessarily look that much bigger. You know what I'm talking about? Like there were some bodybuilders that were like that throughout history, and you could—they just had a—I don't know—they had a balanced look, and they looked a little bigger when you find out they only weigh a certain amount. You know. Um, let's talk about bad. So this is kind of the fun part. Like physique-wise, what's bad about you, uh, and how do you know? Oh man, definitely <laughs> my arms and legs, and I know this because they're seven feet long. You know, I've always had really. I'm, I've got a short trunk that is, again, thick, short, and powerful. I've got these long, gangly arms and legs, 
which even if they're kind of big, makes them appear really small. So okay, yeah. Uh, and with my, I'd say if I had to pick one, I'd say arms, and that's just because I don't care. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've I've tried to care about okay, I'm going to do a bunch of curls, and it doesn't work, and yeah. it bores the hell out of me. I still do them, but it's definitely just a yeah, I should do this. Let me do fifty curls. So right. uh, it's definitely a back burner thing, and it goes into uh, is doing an hour of curls really going to aid my performance at all? No, nah, probably not. Okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, I've only got so much time. Yeah, you know, and I know that you know. And let's say in powerlifting, I know that okay, we've got three lifts to do: squat, bench, deadlift. Yeah, there's some arm work involved in bench, but how much is that going to affect my total compared to more time? doing stuff that will affect my squat and deadlift probably not as much sure um yeah yeah it'd definitely be i mean my limbs in and of themselves but uh definitely my biceps i just it bores the hell out of me doing doing curls and stuff i still do them and i probably need to do them more you know just out of curiosity you were talking about how long they are and it's almost an illusion in a you know in a bad way in this case Mm -hmm. um how big are your arms? You have 18, 19 I don't know. inch arms. Last time I checked, probably seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Okay, yeah. But, but they're, but yeah. But like I said, I mean, my arms, they go from my shoulders to my knees, and I'm six foot. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah, yeah. So no matter what, they just they don't look that big. Uh, I'd have to have like twenty some inch arms to be like, oh yeah, he's got some big arms. And I just I hear that all the time, like people that don't know. You know anything about powerlifting and stuff like that? Well, how can he be so strong? His arms aren't that big. Yeah, because I don't have to use them to deadlift. Right. I just got to hang on to the bar. Exactly. You know? It's not a prime mover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, even in yeah, I mean, you could you could argue that for for benching and yeah, maybe my bench would go up more again if uh, I did a little bit more because they help bracing and things like that. But I mean, part of it's also in that my shoulder hurts, so I just don't do a lot of benching. So yep. I definitely, I basically get most of my arm work through all the, like yesterday I had a bunch of bent over rows and pull ups and pull downs and things like that. It's like my arm's bending and they're definitely working. Right. So yeah, I just don't have a lot of time for, for direct arm work. Now, if I ever wanted to step on stage or something, that would be what I definitely have to, uh, attack. And then my legs, you know, they used to be a lot more impressive than they are, but for some reason, having a hip surgery and a hamstring replacement tends to make them shrink up some. Sure. So. Oh yeah. Uh, but they're strong. They're, I mean, arguably, my legs are stronger than they've ever been, even though they're not as big as they've ever been. Interesting. So, uh, that's definitely my my weak areas. Yeah, I hear you about the surgery thing. When I had my right triceps reattached, my right arm is slightly smaller than my left now. I think it just—I don't know—it hurt the size of it just a little bit when I yeah. had that. I don't yeah. know if that's always true. Um, probably not, but often uh, yep. no i hear you i mean because i'm only five nine when i competed uh not, not not on stage but in the off season my arms were around 19 inches you know my yeah. thighs were i got my thighs up near 28 inches at one point and on my frame that's a lot that was almost yeah, as big as my waist you yeah. know but again that's off season when i'm all bloated and everything but mm-hmm. um but let's let's get to advice so what about other lifters? If they're listening, they're like, "Yeah, I've got long arms. I'm a spider." <laughs> you yeah. know, what is what's Phil's advice for them then? Find out if you even care. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. Does yeah. it really matter to you? I mean, if it doesn't matter, like for me, I really don't care. You know, and other people, I, I don't care if you have bigger arms than me. It has no. 
it has no meaning to no my value. purpose in life. Yeah, I just yeah. it has it holds no value. So I just I've gotten to the point I don't care. Um, yeah, you know if it was if it was hindering my performance somehow, then I would care more. So um, other than that, I mean, attack your weaknesses. It's easier for me to speak on the next one we'll do, which would be performance. Sure, sure. As far as 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 that, but um, you know, like anybody, you we talked about you only have so much time in a day. And so you need to find out where your value structure is and attack that. If having if like bigger arms to me really held a high value, I would find a way to make them bigger. Yep. And I would spend time on that. Yep. So it's just finding out personally what you want and if you care about it and and if so, attack that. So yep. you know, add three or four days you know, for a while and see what happens. Exactly, yeah. So. You know, it's funny you're talking about value because I don't want to get into our next uh, section on performance too much yet, but I was actually like that. This shows how different we are, but it, with the deadlift, I never focused on it much. I never had a big deadlift because I really never did it, and there was mm-hmm. a, there's a reason for that, right? But, it, it, but I, I digress. As far as my advice for people with small joints, um, because yes, it can be a good thing, but it's also my bad thing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would suggest – uh, if you do have small joints, don't make some of the mistakes that I made, like you doing real heavy isolation work. Like that's how I tore my triceps. I should not have 150 pounds on an easy curl bar doing skull crushers. You know, that's – it's not necessary. Uh, so you, you got to be careful with the isolation work, right, because you just don't have the bone structure and the th- thicker, larger tendons and everything else to mm-hmm. to shoulder that load. And it, it could catch up with you, I'm telling you. Yeah, and then there's things like you touched upon. You have, like, really long muscle bellies. I'm the opposite. I have really long tendons. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, the, I remember the old test from back in the days where they, like, put place your fingers between your elbow joint and your uh, your bicep when you flex. And, like, how many fingers can you fit? And people with, like, really long muscle bellies can fit one or none. Yes, uh, yes. And I can fit, like, three. You know, okay. Really yeah. long tendons. Yeah. Which makes, which makes you have more of a peak thing going on, I suppose, because the muscle starts so late. Sure. But I just wasn't genetically predisposed to even have the look of big arms. You know? Yeah. So I was like, yeah. why am I going to fight this when I can exactly. go towards something I like? So, you know, this yeah. a lot of today's episode reminds me of that old quote. It says something along the lines of, "You know that thing you're not good at? Yeah, don't do that." <laughs> Right? Because yeah. otherwise it's, oh, it's yeah. an exercise in frustration. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, it is. Nobody is saying don't work your weak spots, but uh, only if you value that weak spot. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, That's definitely what I find. If you get people to actually sit down and ID what they actually enjoy and you start them working on that, they will work a lot harder than what they yep. thought they – You know, there's a lot of people in this world – spending a lot of time on shit they really don't care about and they really don't like. And they half-ass it <laughs> you know, because they've never taken the time to idea, what do I really like? And that's kind of what we try to do in the gym is we take you in, we let you try everything, and then you tell me, hey, I like this. Well, let, well why don't we concentrate on that? Because you'll probably work a lot harder if you're doing something you enjoy yes. instead of doing that. Yep. You know? you know, Phil, that's even when I work with weight management clients, not, not like contest prep, but – Mm-hmm. Uh, we focus on strength and like something that they're naturally good at they that they're proud of or you know they're like I'm like hey you're pretty good at that because it's positive it they make gains and it reinforces and if you focus oh, on yeah. bo- body composition out of the gate and fat loss 
the changes are too slow and it's very demoralizing. Mm. You yeah. know, so a kind of similar thing. Okay, let's get our, to our next major category here uh, because obviously your your physique feeds into this, I think, but is performance. So, um, good and bad, and how you know. What are you oh, good at? My squat and my deadlift are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my bench sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And I just know that now it used to be, you know, my bench was okay, my squat was okay, and my deadlift was really good. Um, what happened is I basically, I mean, after my hip replacement, I had concentrated on my deadlift so long because it was the one thing I do, could do that just did not put me in excruciating pain. So, of course, I did it a lot. And I was naturally, I've always been just naturally good at deadlifting. I'm, I'm one of those people, like, they, they interviewed Derek Poundstone, like, what did you deadlift for the first time? He's like, 500 pounds when I was, like, 12. Yeah. <laughs> I walked into the gym, and I could just deadlift well yeah. from day one. So, of course, I concentrate on that. Long arms, uh, right? I mean, that's kind of help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, long arms, long legs. Mm-hmm. And so I was just naturally good at it. So, of course, I did it a lot. And then, so what happens when you do something a lot and you enjoy it? You get better at it. Um so I naturally just got better at that. And then the squat was kind of my back burner exercise for a few reasons, the hip and then also just big long legs. Yes. Uh, but after my hip replacement, it was when I decided to, hey, I'm out of pain. I want to push this thing for the first time. So I've gotten myself up to over 700 pounds. I hit 705 for a double pretty easy on squat. And uh, put the deadlift on back burner because I know – I mean, these I've done three meets since, and I've always pulled 700 in there. It's there. Like, without yeah. really concentrating on my deadlift, I know it's there. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of know if I go into a meet, I'm going to pull seven. Um, and now that my squat's up there, now I'm trying to concentrate and split time. So I'm spending mm-hmm. about 50% of my time on my squat, 50% of my time, because I want them both to go up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are definitely my good ones. I mean, my lower body stuff, and I don't know, man. For me, it's just, it's really easy to get my, like we talked about before in the caffeine part of the show, mentally I can get really hyped up for a big squat or a big deadlift. And it's real hard for me to get mentally hyped, hyped up the bench. You know, yes. It's like, really, I'm just laying down here and pushing a bar up. I down. get it, man. I, you know what? <laughs> these guys that are bench specialists, you know, and we've yeah. had some on the show, I've always thought that in the back of my mind, too. Nothing from them because they're really good at it. But there seems to be, and again, I might get some hate mail for this, but less at stake <laughs> in a in a bench press, you know, compared to a squat, which is inherently dangerous, you yeah. know, like there's, I don't know, I, I always had a hard time too, like getting mentally super, like two days ahead, looking forward to a yes. bench workout. Yeah, I'll get a big pump, not, you know, yeah. uh, but I don't know. Yeah, and I love the feeling of that, like on bench, getting a big pump, and your chest is all blown up. It feels, but it's it's not the same as. Holy shit! I might die. I've, I'm about to take 700 out, and I'm about to sit down with it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. And uh, there is something very primal about that. So, I mean, other than that, performance-wise, like I'm, I'm probably more of a one-show pony now than I've ever been. Um, and a lot of that is because, like we talked about, I I know what I like, I know what I'm good at, so I've really concentrated on that. Like I'm not very good at endurance stuff now, and part of that it, it got exasperated of course after my hip replacement when the doctor like gave me the one diagnosis that i was wanting to hear my whole life and that i can't ever run again uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. that's a tragedy for other people yeah, it's a tragedy but i was like yes he told me i can never run unless i'm on a building on fire so <laughs> so i stay away from buildings on fire but uh you know i just and that that further gave me the excuse to 
I don't like that. I'm not going to do it. You yeah, know? yeah. And so I'll go push a sled. I'll go ride my bike. You know, and it's I I do stuff, but uh, I've I've just really sold myself to hey, I'm a lifter. I'm going to lift, and I like that's what I like. I know and a lot of kids Phil actually that are into powerlifting and almost none of them like to jog they all look for yeah. other ways to get their conditioning you know sleds yeah. or almost anything else yeah. you know so yep. what about advice so you said your the bench press which is kind of ironic right I mean I know your arms are long and that's probably the weak link because you have a big chest but your mm-hmm. bench isn't your best mm-hmm. um, but what would you be your advice for someone who's built like you or you know their bench is by far and away a distant third in their big three, you know? Uh, yeah, if they're built like me, yeah, it's all a lockout. Like, I can get a weight moving, and it's because I've I've got a big torso and long arms. So generally with people with long arms are the people that I'll get the bar halfway up. It's the lockout that kills me. Yeah, It's when those arms hit. When I go from I'm really wound up when I touch my chest because my, my elbows are way back behind me. Mm-hmm. So I get about halfway up, and that's where my arms hit 90 degrees. And, of course, that's going to be just from a lever arm Leverage, yeah. That's gonna be the, yeah, that's going to be the hardest part. Um, that's a lot of lockout strength and things like that. And let's I, I tell you my bench sucks. I've still benched like 430. But uh, comparatively, against competitors, I, I suck. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and my shoulder injury has just also made it to where, like, if I ever want to bench 430 again, I probably need surgery. And it's not worth it to me. But um, a couple things. Build up your weakness. Like, for me, it'd be a ton of tricep work. And also, I don't know why more people don't attack their strength. Like, for me, I know I'm strong in the bottom. So if I get even stronger in the bottom, it tends to let me blast through that weakness. Right. Point. Momentum. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, that's that's a big thing people miss on. It's like, well, yeah, you're already naturally good there. Why don't we enhance that even more? And then I can blast through that weak point, and then you know that weak point doesn't matter as much. Right. You just you just blow through it. Write it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you're able to just kind of grind through that. So, um, and then for me right now, it's just uh, talking to people in an older population or something that have a bunch of dings and dents. It's finding out what you can do that doesn't hurt. Because really the worst thing I can do, and I've tried it, I mean, I was better off at these last three meets. I just didn't bench. Um, because when I tried it, I like to go in every week and bench once or twice a week. All I did was hurt, and it's really hard to be strong when you hurt. Yeah. So basically yeah. I didn't bench. I benched every three weeks or so. And, you know, three weeks out from meet, I'd go, I'd load up 315, make sure I can hit it for a few, and I'm like, I'm good. You know, as long as I can do that, basically, I don't want to do a meet and not bench 315 as a grown ass man. Yes. That weighs 260. Right. (laughs) I understand. So I'd make sure I could still do that. And then I'd just see what's there that day. So, like, my last meet, I benched 370. And I was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, ID your weakness and ID your strengths. You know, if you have a strength, enhance that strength. It's something you're naturally good at. And that can usually get you through your weak areas. Yeah, I like that, that someone built like yourself, as far as advice, they could actually work on the explosion with the big chest and then separately look at, work, look at the lockout. But those two things together should be able to bring up that distant third big lift. Yeah, and it's the same with me in the squat. I mean, I just had to concentrate. I was never good at it. I'm not really built to be good at it. What did I do? I really concentrated on it. I put my, for that lift, I put my, my strength, which is my deadlifting, uh, on the back burner 
because I knew it would be there. It's like I don't need to worry about that. I know it's going to be there. You know. Yeah. So I really just totally concentrated on my on my squat, and that's what brought it up. You know, I put ninety nine percent of my energy in that, and all my pulls, and they still are, are done after. Like I don't pull until I'm done squatting, and I'm already fatigued. And I know if I go in and like I'll go in today and squat six hundred for three or something like that, and a bunch of other reps, and I know okay, I've just done all that. If I pull six hundred, I'm good. I'm doing six hundred in a very fatigued state. <laughs> right? No, I get it. So, but okay, uh, you know, performance wise for me, well, performance in bodybuilding, it, it, it's a body composition is the the point yeah. it's not performance <laughs> it's you yeah. know i mean i was always reasonably good at what i would call for me heavy but to you like middle weight higher rep type squats i like to squat fairly deep uh as i got older and stiffer some of this changed but you know 405 like there was a time where i could routinely get sets of 10 and 12 out of 405 to me that's a lot yeah. you oh, know yeah. uh, i got a video of rob rob filmed me doing um 315 for a 20 that shit is brutal oh yeah it is brutal and i didn't do that a lot i don't want people to think i did that a lot but that was one of the things performance wise because i was bottom heavy you know we're back to that yeah. kind of structure thing mm-hmm. and you know I, I think as far as my sport goes this sounds kind of silly but i've always gotten huge pumps in the gym i don't know if i was born with more capillaries or what but <laughs> sometimes i feel like i i look like i'm 20 pounds heavier you know when i'm done with a like a chest mm-hmm. and arm, like T-shirt workout or something like that. Um, so that that kind of stuff is fun. What I'm uh, bad at, and uh, this alludes to earlier, is I've never deadlifted. I, you're going to laugh. I think you know this, but I've never mm-hmm. met the grown-ass man uh, yeah. performance level. Like 315, 365, I've never tried to max in the deadlift. But when I was mm-hmm. when I was younger, as, a, as somebody interested in bodybuilding, I could never find the right – day to do deadlifts right like if my legs are wrecked because i squatted yesterday i don't want to do deadlifts on back day my legs are wrecked and legs are i mean what is a deadlift it doesn't fit neatly into a body part split like a squat or a bench does squatting and benching Mm -hmm. does like in both of our sports that works deadlifts are about the movement and, mm-hmm. you know, it's a leg and back movement. So do you put on leg day or back day? I could never yeah. find a good po- time for that. So my deadlift still sucks. I mean, at, at this point, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily make it huge. But, yeah, I'd probably be hard-pressed to pull 315 off the ground. You've got women at your gym that probably deadlift. Well, I'm sure oh, yeah. deadlift more than that. Yeah. And I just yeah. – I, I was always worried, A, where you put it, but also, B – and I know in t- by today's thinking, people roll their eyes, but you're talking about like back in the 80s. I was always afraid deadlifts would give me a thick waist, that myth, mm-hmm. you know, yep. Um, yep. which is funny because, you know, I had like a 28, 29-inch waist. I'm like, <laughs> what, what am I worried about? Yeah. Uh, but I, it well, kept me away from it long enough that I never built that. And you know what? It wasn't until the last round of my competitions – uh, while we were recording this show that I actually really built up my um, my traps by doing – I did a lot of low rack pulls, but that became my, mm-hmm. like my solution. Not not that bottom six inches off the ground, right? Because, again, too much leg drive there and my legs yeah. are wrecked. But low rack pulls, I thought this is the solution, and I really did. I should probably show pictures on our Facebook page like how I my upper back used to look 
and then mm-hmm. what what the traps looked like after you know a year of heavy like low rack pulls it's yeah. night and day you know but anyway well i think i think for somebody that's physique goal oriented that's that's all they need to do you don't need to pull from the floor but i mean you were also battling you talk about the head uh scared of a thick waist this and that yeah yeah when i was deadlifts young. just have a bad name too and they still do like oh they're horrible they're gonna hurt you and i mean through all the schools i work with and everything like that's the reason none of them do it they're really hard to teach and they're dangerous they're pretty damn easy and like all these schools are doing cleans horribly of course right right they'll, they'll try and teach them horrible cleans thinking it's less complex than a deadlift you know you're basically having somebody deadlift and throw a bar yes explosively <laughs> you know? right and, yeah and yes and that's more complicated than picking something up no i don't think so but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely one of those things but i mean i don't think it, for your goals it wasn't needed i mean yes yeah. you can get the same job done with you can get a better job done with other moves right know, potentially well and so. i mean i always liked stuff like barbell rows you know mm-hmm. reasonably heavy yeah. like i'd use 275 and do like low rep you know just barbell rows in the middle of the floor i mean yes. that's a pretty mm-hmm. brutal basic movement it's yep. not one of the big three powerlifting you know lifts but i think hopefully lift or uh, listeners are getting from us you know the advice for this right which is don't be a a no deadlift schmuck earlier in, in your career like I did because I probably would have had a bigger upper back because yeah. uh, like you, I was always lat heavy. You know, like mm-hmm. even to this day, it's hard for me to find shirts that fit because the armholes always, mm-hmm. you know, there's not enough room there and my lats yeah. get in the way. And, but traps wise, really should have hit those deadlifts oh, yeah. earlier I mean, than I did. Same thing with me. Like I probably should have concentrated on my squat long ago and let my good deadlift just come along. Yeah, you know, it's because it would have been better, you know, but it's hard to to work on what sucks. You know, yeah. honestly, yeah. squatting really heavy is really fucking hard for me. Yeah, um, because I've got long ass legs. But I mean, it took me saying, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and now I love it. You know, of course I love it because I'm good at it. You know? <laughs> and you know what? I think but, uh, you um you learned like when I watch you squat, you're rather plainer. Yeah, in, in other words, your knees seem very wide. You try to get flat yes. against the bar. You kind of snap your knees together. You don't, because yeah. of your long legs, it would be a mistake for you to accordion squat. You know what I'm talking yes. about? And you yeah. don't do that. So you used your knowledge, I think, to, like you said, your legs aren't the biggest they've ever been, but your your numbers are. And I think a lot yes. of that is working the very specific muscle groups yep. in the technique that you've landed on, you know, yes. to do that. Yeah. So No, most definitely. Most definitely. It's just honing that down and finding out what feels right for me. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're going to table some of the other things. We've, we'll probably do a part two of this. Again, what what we're good at, what we're bad at, how we know, uh, and maybe some advice you know, that comes out of it. But I hope that was instructive uh, for you guys as listeners. Uh, like, like I said, a part two might be diet, recovery, and sleep. You know, what we're good at and bad at in these things. But identifying these things in yourself is a huge deal, right? Because then you can decide, oh, I'm working on a weak spot today. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. no, damn it, I'm rolling with my strength. And maybe it'll play to my advantage, like what Phil was saying with exploding out of the the bottom of of a bench, you know, or, you know, that kind of stuff. So, And I I can't undervalue the whole find out if it's something you really care about. (laughs) Because there are a lot of people that... I really need to get this up. Why? Because everybody says I should. Yeah, but do you want to? 
And if you don't, it's okay. You know, it's really okay not right. to. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that that's good from from a mindset. Like people yeah. can tell, like how different from our perspectives because of the sport that we were pursuing. You were okay mm-hmm. with smaller arms, and I was okay with a a, a weak ass deadlift. I mean, because yeah, exactly. So what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? <laughs> All right. Good stuff. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. We'll see you next week, everybody. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.